that comes an equally deep fear. Am I lovable? If anyone really knew me, if they, if they truly knew me, could they, would they love me? In their, their book on the meaning of marriage, uh, Tim and Kathy Keller write these words, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved, that's our greatest fear. What we all desperately need is both to be fully known just as we are and yet truly and fully loved. But where in the world do we find that kind of love? Well, we don't fear. Whitney Houston steps in uh, to help us. And here is her advice to us. I came across this quote from her in town last week. And she says this. She says, learn to love yourself. It's the greatest love of all. Now, I'm, I'm just not sure that quite cuts it. I, I think, as I look at the world, I think we need less self-focused and self-centered love and, and not more. I, I don't know how more self-focused love is going to help make our relationships fly and help sustain us through the hardships of life. But maybe the Kellers, who are fruitfully married for, for nearly half a century, uh, can help us as they go on in their quote. To be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness. And it fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. Now, that sounds more like it to me, to be fully known and to be truly loved by God. They didn't make it up. They got this, this idea from the Bible, which tells us and reassures, reassures us that the greatest love of all is actually the love that God has for us and not the love we have for ourselves. And pretty much in the middle of the Bible is this book, The Song of Songs. And it's a short book of love poetry. And it, it graphically and beautifully celebrates and plums the depths of true love. The greatest love of all. And in this poetry, it explores intimacy, it explores delight, it explores passion and joy and, and physical attraction of the lover and the beloved. Now, this is without doubt the sexiest book in the Bible. Okay? It's so hot that Jewish rabbis wouldn't let young men read it until they had turned 30 years old. Okay? So you, you've been warned about what's coming over the coming weeks. But as we allow this poetry, this love poetry, to speak to our souls this half-term, we will find ourselves delving deeply into the greatest love of all, and that is the passionate love that Christ has for us as his people. And, and as we plunge ourselves into that love, that will bring deep reassurance to our souls, and it will transform and reform us as people who love others, better lovers of God, better lovers of others, and actually also better lovers of self. And so that's what's going to happen for us as we, as we work our way through the, the Song of Songs. Now, what I want to do in this moment is just help us get familiar with the book and um, just think through some things, which we just need to set up at the start before we dive in. And we're going we're gonna to sing and have some prayers, and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll get into the book and, and read it. It's a worthy question to ask, though. What is a collection of often erotic love poems doing in the Bible, especially when there's no explicit mention of God in this poetry? 
Now, it is there because it's intended to capture our imagination and stir our hearts at the greatness of love. It's about our, heart, our hearts as much as our heads. The Scottish political uh, politician and writer, Andrew Fletcher, recognized the power of song to influence us and to shape people. And he said this, let me write the songs of a nation, and I don't care who makes the laws. If I can write the songs, I don't care who writes the laws. He's saying it's our music and our poetry and our popular culture that has such a shaping and, and impact on people and their lives and not rules and laws. And so as we read this poetry, it's not so much a puzzle to figure out, but it's this creative language and these images and these illusions and these word pictures that evoke sights and sounds and smells. And it's those things that convey these deep truths to us that are hard to grasp in any other way. So we've got to enter into the imagery of the poetry, and it's, it's poetry that was written a long time ago, thousands of years ago, thousands of miles away. So we have to understand some things going on in, in what the poetry means in that culture and in that time. Dare I say it, the Song of Songs is here to cause us to feel something as much as to learn or understand something. It's to cause us to feel and more fully grasp the profound and the true nature of love and intimacy in relationships. In our relationships with one another, for sure, with a particular focus on, on marriage for those of us who are marriages. But more significantly for all of us, our relationship with God. And, and what it does is it explores this relationship between this man and this woman. But as it does that, it transports us to a higher love. It speaks to us of the true and perfect love that we experience in God through Christ. And it helps us to celebrate that love. Ultimately, Christ is the lover and we are the beloved. So as we read it, we kind of need to have those, um, you know, where you have those glasses that are kind of a bifocals. They have two, they help people see in kind of two, uh, two ways, really. And so we need our bifocal glasses on, two different lenses to see the two perspectives. And as we go through, we'll be dancing between these two themes. Wisdom for our human love relationships, most especially our marriage, marriages, but also exploring the depths of our relationship with God and our Savior. And I think as we see that and how, how the Song of Songs describes and reveals this relationship that we have, people has, have with God, it's completely unique in the, the religions and the worldviews out there, the, the intimacy and the closeness and the delight and the love that exists. And that's why it's called the Song of Songs. What, what, what that title is saying is, listen, this is the greatest song that, it, that has ever been written. The greatest song about the greatest love. And so actually, we'll call it the song on, on, on the way through. Although it's not actually one song, it's a collection of songs on the same theme. It's more helpful to think of it like a, a, a carefully crafted music album that's been put together. An album of love songs about this relationship of this young couple. And there's no real plot that unfolds on the way through. There's not much character development. There's not much context given. But it's this series of duets between these two lovers. Occasionally, these friends chiming in with a chorus, and at the very heart of the book, we'll see in a few weeks, is a wedding song. I don't think this is a real couple or one couple, but this is an ideal vision of a love relationship. This is an ideal vision of true love and intimacy, untainted by sin and brokenness of the world around us. And so that means it's a love story that all of us can relate to. We can all find our place in it. 
It's intended to inspire us and to lead us into deeper intimacy in our relationships with one another. But also, it's intended to inspire us and lead us into deeper intimacy with our relationship with the Lord. Now, now we need to know that this song is attributed to Solomon, the ancient king of Israel. And, And that probably doesn't mean that he wrote it or even that it's about him. It's got a very different vision of love to that which Solomon had this is a vision of, of faithful and exclusive love between one man and one woman for life. Solomon had over 700 wives and 300 concubines. So it's on a different page to him in, in many ways as far as love. But, but it was probably written for him, or maybe it was published by him. Maybe it was written for one of his weddings. It's like the soundtrack to a wedding or something. At the very least, we know it's this. It's written in his tradition, his wisdom tradition. And it teaches us the wisdom of how to live well in the world. So maybe we can think of the song as like a, a wedding playlist, the soundtrack to your relationship with your Savior. Now, one thing we need to be very clear on as we say that is that this, this romantic relationship that's depicted for us here is located in the Bible's vision and revelation of God's plans and God's purposes for our romantic relationships. And that's set out in the Bible at the very beginning in Genesis 2, and it's upheld right through the Bible, right to the end, and, and most specifically and explicitly by Jesus and his teaching. He upholds the, the Bible teaching that the context for sexual intimacy is between one man and one woman in an exclusive and lifelong relationship of marriage together. Now, I'm aware we will all come to this series and this idea of love and romance and relationships with a whole host of different strong feelings. Some will have joy and delight at how this this poetry expresses your experience and things that you feel. Others will feel deep pain at the thought of this, at what you don't have. Some deep hurt from what you have lost. Others' frustration and unfulfilled longings. Some great sadness as you think back on certain experiences. You think this is the opposite to what I've been shown or what I've experienced. Some might feel jealousy. Some, or maybe many, confusion. Lots of us regret, guilt, and shame. Listen, the Lord knows each of us fully. He knows us. And whatever we feel, whatever we bring to this, all of us need to plunge ourselves into his great love for us to heal and to renew us. So listen, we are going to be touching some raw nerves as we work through this, but our hope is to do so with the healing love and the grace of Christ. We're not looking to cause unnecessary hurt or offense to anyone. We want to be gentle with one another. And listen, as we just start discussing this in gospel families, that's going to be really key. As we go to these places with one another, we want to, we want to do so with the love and the grace of Christ and the gentleness and kindness that we all need. Let me say this, just to kind of close on this introduction session. The Song of Songs is good for us all. It is good for us all. It is, it is God's word for us and, and, and to us. Whatever our experience, whatever our relationship status, whatever life looks like for us at the moment, this is God's word and so it is good for us. It is necessary for us to have a high and a compelling vision for true love 
in, in, our, in our lives and in our, in our romantic relationships and our marriages. We've got to have a high vision of love. It's valuable for us to be trained in how to love others well. It is good that God's word affirms our sexuality, affirms our physical nature and our desires and our longings as good gifts from God to be explored and expressed in appropriate ways. And for every one of us, it's an absolute delight for us to discover again the passionate and enduring love with which God pursues us and loves us. So listen, I am a little bit tentative, maybe even apprehensive, but I am also super excited as we step into this together. What God will do in us or through it. And so, um, in a moment, we're going to pray, and George and Beth are going to lead us in prayer before we really dive in and we start reading the Song of Songs and exploring what it has for us. But before we do that, we're going to, we're going to stand and sing together. So, so George is going to come and lead us. Why don't we stand together and we'll sing before we pray. Well, please do uh, grab a Bible. There's some uh, red Bibles in front of you if you haven't got one. And if you turn to page 680 in these, or it's basically in the, pretty much in the middle of your Bible, page 680 in these red ones, and we're going to read uh, the first 14 verses of the Song of Songs. Solomon's Song of Songs. She, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young woman loved you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Friends, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love. More than wine. She. How right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely. Daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I had to neglect. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? Friends, if you do not know, most beautiful woman, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. He, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. She, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of En Gedi. So straight away as we start the song, we are drawn into overpowering desire. 
This young girl is on fire. She has been swept off her feet. We don't yet know who by, but she is in love. And her language is evocative and beautiful. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. It's pleasant taste, it's tender touch, it's beautiful smell. She is intoxicated on love. It's like some ancient Lynx commercial where, the, you know, the guy's spraying himself in Lynx and just all these women just swoon. Don't know. This is the, the ancient version of that. And one thing is for sure, right at the outset, before we try and do the Christian thing on this, she is interested in far more than being friends and a cup of tea and a Bible study, okay? It is his love that is more delightful to her than wine. And that word for love here is a sexual love. It's, it's a caress, an intimate caress that she desires with the one that her heart loves. And so that's her, her invitation is for him to, to uh, kiss her with the kisses of his mouth, not the formal, um, slightly more formal nose kisses that were around in, in the culture of their day as a, as a way of greeting people. No, this is er- intimacy and, and erotic love and, and passion at play. And so right away, the Bible surprises us. Because here, female sexual desire is honored and upheld and celebrated. That's a breath of fresh air, isn't it, in a culture that so often derides and, and looks down upon the female sex drive. But straight away, it's honored as something good and healthy here. In the secure context of a mutual and exclusive loving relationship, this can flourish in beautiful ways. But it's not just physical attraction and, and desire that's at play for, for the woman here. There's more to it than that. In verse 3, your name, she says, and, and, and his name represents his character, his, who he is, the type of man he is on the inside. Your name is like perfume poured out. She delights in the noble and the beautiful character of her lover. In fact, to her, he is a king. Let the king bring me into his chambers. And so her deepest desire is to hurry away and be with this one who her heart loved and this one who was adored by so many, to be alone together, intimate and in love. Now we talk, don't we? We talk about falling in love. Because love is is a feeling that can overwhelm and overpower us. And, and in that, it can be a, beautiful, uh, a profoundly beautiful and wonderful thing. We, we see here physical attraction. We see sexual desire. And we see beauty. They're all upheld as good things, as, as, as worthy of attention and, and ex- expression in appropriate ways. We don't need to have this repressive and prudish view on sexuality that so many of us think that the Bible gives us and maybe some of us have been brought up with. No, that's not what God's word has for us. Well, her her friends, you see in verse 4, they reply in agreement, we rejoice and we delight in you. Speaking of of, of the man, we will praise your love more than wine. There's one thing to note as we go through the Song of Songs, that the Bible really helpfully tells us who the speaker is in, in each section. Now, this wasn't in the original uh, poem when it was written, but it had been really obvious to the people who read it in the original language who was speaking due to the words that were used. Less obvious in English, so it's really helpful uh, for us that we're told who's speaking. There's one or two places where it's maybe debated whether it's right or not, and, and we'll, we'll spot those as we go. 
But, but here her friends chime in and they validate and they encourage her in her choice of man. Yes, we rejoice and delight in him too. You've chosen well. He's a great guy. You've got good taste. You know, it is wise to include trusted people in our big decisions around love and romance. It can be a helpful check and balance to us as we're navigating that minefield. Her friends, too, recognize his great love. It is more praiseworthy than wine. In that culture, wine was the symbol of the good life, of blessing, of rich feasting. But this, this man, this love is something so much better than even that. And it is his love that is praiseworthy. Do you see that? It is his love that is more delightful than wine. It is his love that brings such delight. It is his love that brings such joy and security and life. It is his love that liberates and humbles and fortifies. You see, actually, her deepest longing here is not actually for a sexual partner, but it's for a soulmate. And this is a beautiful depiction of love and intimacy, of delight in another. And, and we just ought to be captivated by this and think, those of us who are married, wouldn't it be great if our marriages could be overflowing with this? This kind of love and delight. We would flourish under that, would we not? Wouldn't it be great if our friendships could be built up and deepened with this kind of affirmation of the good we see in others, with words that express what delights us in others, with encouragements and, and calling things out. We see through the song the power of affirming and encouraging and honoring one another. Wouldn't our friendships grow in intimacy as we learn to do that together? There's something that I think is just really important to take note of at this point, and indeed we need to remember right through the song, is that there's a massive lie of our culture and our world today that the only real way to know true intimacy is through sex and through romantic relationships. That's what the world around tells us. The only way we can have intimacy is through that, and it's just not true. If it is, then Jesus never knew true intimacy. And let me tell you, he is the most intimate friend of all. We must all, every single one of us, learn to grow and experience intimacy as appropriate in a wide range of relationships. I need intimacy in a wide range of relationships with men and women, not just with my wife and not just in my family. And we all need that. And the song will help us all grow in intimacy in our relationships together. And we're going to see that throughout, and it's a really legitimate and important thing for us to see. It is this beautiful vision of love and intimacy, this love that is more delightful than wine. Now, of course, we need to try and grow in that with one another. Of course we do, but in the end, none of us, none of us loves like this. Nobody, no other person can love us perfectly. The song is not ultimately about our love, but Christ's love. I've been reading um, through the Psalms lately, and one thing that I've just noticed on repeat, um, just about every Psalm talks about the unfailing love of God. I mean, I think I'm 52 or something, and I'm pretty, like, it's just the unfailing love of God, just, it's just been all over the place. The love of God that never fails us. The love of God that never lets us down. The love of God that never lets us go. The love of God that never leaves us. The love of God that is our security and our strength. The love of God that is new every morning for us. 
Christ is the one whose love is better than life, whose love is better than everything and anything else. Christ is the one who spreads the fragrance of his love everywhere to and through his people. It is his love that is more delightful than wine. It is his love that we rejoice and we delight in. We're going to come back to that again a little bit later. We'll come back to it right through this series, actually. And so as as this woman contemplates the loveliness of her lover, it's as if she becomes self-aware and self-conscious. And so in flood the doubts and the insecurities in the next stanza. You see, she is dark-skinned. And in her day, that's not a racial issue, but a social issue. The wealthy back then could stay inside and they could stay out of the sun. But the poor had to work manual labor out in the fields in the hot Middle Eastern sun. And so if you had darker tanned skin, and that was a sign of low social status. You didn't match up to the beauty standards of the day back then. And so she's self-conscious because she's poor. And she doesn't want others to stare at her. See, it turns out that concerns around body image and appearance are not just a modern problem. Going back thousands of years and thousands of miles away, people have lived with these struggles. And not only has she got those concerns, but but we read that she's been abused and taken advantage of by her own brothers. She's got no dad on the scene to protect her and to provide for her. So verse 6, she's been forced into hard labor taking care of these vineyards. So she isn't able to, no time or energy to care for herself or her own appearance. This is a a Cinderella-type story, this young, beautiful woman, both inside and out, who's abused and taken advantage of by cruel relatives. And so she thinks of the one that she loves. Very quickly, her mind uh, slips and, and, and flips into thoughts, from thoughts of delight about him to fear. Will he love me back? Am I lovable? And added to these insecurities about her appearance and her status and her fears that she might not even find the one that she loves in verse 7. Where, where are you? Where can I even find you? She doesn't want to go looking from one place to the next as if she might be perceived as kind of a loose woman putting herself out there. No, she, she wants to go know where he is and go towards him. There's this theme that, that starts to unfold and will continue through the song of searching and looking of longing for love as she seeks out intimacy. And so we need to realize that intimacy is something to be intentionally pursued and built in relationships. And that takes time and that takes effort. It takes presence, physically spending time together, not neglecting being amongst and with others. It it takes making ourselves emotionally vulnerable and open to others. Involves seeking others out and initiating and growing in, in depth. It doesn't just happen naturally. And it certainly doesn't happen if we keep our distance from other people. No intimacy can grow where there's distance. And, but here, this, this woman, romantically, she's put herself in, in this vulnerable position as, as, she, as she's seeking this intimacy. She's gone out on a limb. She's publicly declared her love, nailed her colors to the mast. And it's worth saying straight away that this is a good model, I think, for pursuing romantic relationships. If, if, if that's something that's kind of relevant to your life at this time, then let me say, be as clear and as direct as you can about how you feel and what your intentions are. Don't play games and flirt your way into a relationship with someone. 
That just makes an absolute mess. Be clear and direct as best you can. But it also reminds us of the power of love. That means we need to handle one another gently in that situation. She's scared here that he might leave her high and dry and not return love to her. So let me say, if someone's had the courage to go out on a limb and ask you out or to be clear and, intent and show some intention with you about how they feel, please be kind and clear with them. Be honest. It's okay if you're not sure. It's okay to decline. It's okay to say, I just need some more time. Just do it gently and respectfully. And above all, be clear. Did I say be clear yet? Be clear. But this also taps into how vulnerable we can all feel spiritually, doesn't it? We wonder, am I lovable? Our hearts are darkened by life under the sun. Our souls are stained, every one of us, by the destructive sin that still lives within us to this day, that nature that we carry with us. We are all tainted by the hardships and pains of life in this fallen world. And so we ask ourselves, am I so broken? Am I so deformed that if I were to be truly known, I couldn't be loved? Listen, I think that question haunts us all in one way or another, if we're honest. Whether we're a Christian or not, we carry that with us. We have this sense deep within that we were made for this kind of intimacy and love. And we know we want it and we long for it, but we fear that there's nowhere in the world we can find it. And so we play it safe and we don't let ourselves be vulnerable. We don't let ourselves be known and we hold things back. And we portray ourselves as lovable uh, a version of myself as I can so that maybe people will accept me and... I can be loved even if I'm not really known. But listen, that's a terrible way to live. And you can't sustain that for too long. And the woman here encourages us to take some risks and pursue true intimacy, to seek out and find a love that will not let us go. Now his reply comes in, in verse 8. And listen, it is deeply reassuring as he replies with both love and affection. And this is one place where I think the heading in bold is less helpful in verse 8, where it says friends. I think it should actually say he, for this is her lover telling her how he can be found, for he delights to be found. He's telling her where he is. Follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your goats by the tents of the shepherds. That's where you'll find me. So it turns out this one who is a king to her is actually a shepherd, a shepherd king. It's a strange combo, actually. The shepherd's kind of the lowliest of the ancient world, and the king is the top of the ancient world. You wouldn't put them together. Of course, those of us familiar with Jesus know that he himself is the good shepherd and the king of all, the one who delights to be found by us, who invites and promises us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will be fine. Knock and the door will be opened to you. We can rest assured if we truly want to find him. And we truly want to experience his love. He won't leave us high and dry. Secondly, he, he calms her other fear. Yes, he does love her. Verses 9 to 11. She is the most beautiful woman, of women who he likens to a beautiful decorated royal horse. 
Now, here's some uh, free relationship advice for you if you're a man. If you want to win a woman's heart, be very careful describing her like a horse. Okay? This guy is braver than me. (laughs) I mean, he he seems to get away with it, but that's how he describes her here, verse 9. I think the image was more flattering back in the day. It doesn't work in our culture, okay? So don't try it. But back then it did. The, the vision is this beautiful dressed up military horse on parade with all the jewelry and the finery and the beauty and, and, and the power and the slender and all of this. And, and in a very appropriate and honorable way, he affirms his affection and his desire for her. He affirms his delight in her. And listen, all that really matters is that she has his love. She has his affection and she can rest assured in that. This is the model of love that all of our relationships of love, whoever they're with, are to be based on. Our love for one another is to be an other-giving, an other-delighting, an other-centered kind of love. Not the Whitney Houston, me-centered kind of love, but an other-looking kind of love. This is to be the beating heart of our marriages. Husbands, and this is to me as much as you, when did you last tell your wife of your love for her? When were you specific in praising her character and what brings delight to you, why, why you think she's amazing? When did you last compliment her on her attributes, her physical appearance or other things that you delight in about her? Does she know that she is the only one for you? That you're not just faithful to her because she's your wife. But she's your delight and your passion and your love. Now that can go both ways in our marriages. But more pertinently for, for all of us, oh, what bliss it is to know that the God who made us is the God who loves us in this kind of way. That we are his and he is ours. That he is adorning us as his people in beautiful jewelry. That he is dressing us up in his righteousness and the good works that bring him such delight and pleasure that though we are stained by life in this world, to him we are the most beautiful of women and the delight of his heart. God's word promises that Christ showed us his great love for us in this. While we were still sinners, he died for us. The Son of God was disfigured on the cross in sin, He became completely ugly. Out of love for us, so he might make us completely beautiful and adorn us with beauty in the robes of righteousness as his people. How can he love me? I don't know. I can rest assured that he does. He loves me still today. And so the final part of the poem, in verse 12 to 14, is the lover and the beloved delighting in their mutual love with and for one another. The imagery just layers up at the end uh, with this kind of bringing this depth and this clarity to the intimacy and the life that exists between them. You've got them sharing a meal at a table with this beautiful fragrance and perfume. You've got a sachet of myrrh resting between the breasts. You've got a beautiful bouquet with its sweet fragrance from the royal gardens of En Gedi. And it's all very sensual. It's all sweet smells and beautiful imagery and mutual love and delight. And he is hidden in her heart and she is in his. So even when they're apart from one another, the sweet fragrance of their love for one another, they carry as she takes it with her. And it's absolutely idyllic and it's trust and it's intimacy. It's both being known and being loved. 
What a joy and a delight and an inspiration for the, the intimacy and the love we can share in our relationships with one another. I hope this encourages and inspires us to be better lovers. But we must remember that human love will always let us down in one way or another, at one time or another. And so let's let the song lead us to the love that will not let us go. Augustine said back a long time ago, you have made us for yourself, O gods. And our hearts are restless. They are restless until they find their rest in you. This is the higher love that you have been made for. This is the higher love that you find true rest for your souls in. Uh, when we say with all of our hearts to Christ, how sweet it is to be loved by you. It is his love for us that is more delightful than anything else that life or the world can give to us. It's his love that is better than anyone else can love us. It is his love that we want to praise more than anything else. It is his love that brings joy to us and brings strength to our soul. It is his love that calls us out. It is his love that pursues us. It is his love that calms our greatest fears. It is his love that accepts us in our dirty state and forgives us. It is his love that restores us and renews us. It is his love that beautifies us. It is his love that makes us like him. And it is his love that teaches us what it means to love. Jesus is the loving bridegroom who laid down his life out of love for us at the cross. He is passionate about his people. He delights in us. And it's his love that our souls rest in today. And it's his love that we're going to sing about together now as we reflect on that some more together. Johnny and uh, George will come and lead us. Why don't we just stand together and let's just have a moment of silent reflection before we sing as we contemplate our souls finding our rest in Christ. Let, let's stand and, and reflect before these guys lead us.